Welcome to the St. Paul's Episcopal Church podcast. Here, we will share our thoughts, voices, and prayers. St. Paul's is a progressive community of faith with ancient roots. You can find out more about St. Paul's at their website, stpauls.dioup.org, or find us on Facebook. If you would like to share your words on this podcast, send us a message. May God's peace be with you today and always. twice a week, 527, and words twice a week on Thursday and Friday is a series of introductory thoughts on the scripture lessons for the coming Sunday. This Sunday would be Trinity, the scripture lessons would be Psalm 29, Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, Romans 8, 12 to 17, and John 3, 1 to 17. And it probably works best if you've uh, had a chance to read them over or at least have them at hand to scan as we go along. As I said, it's a, a series of introductory thoughts, a bulleted list, and I'm using this sound today to uh, represent a bullet point and a new thought. A little bit obnoxious, but we'll see how it goes. And so here's a question first, following the Revised Common Lectionary, how many times do we read and hear Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 4, the story of creation during the year? Two, three, more? Well, except for year A, we read, hear it exactly once, and that is in the middle of the night for the Easter Vigil. In year A, it was last year, we would also hear, read it, this Sunday, Trinity, the first after Pentecost. I was really surprised. I would have thought we encountered it more than that. And I guess I think we should. So anyway, uh, even though it is not one of the lessons for this Sunday, here's a nice little piece from Plow on the seven days of creation. And there's a link on the website. Now, some thoughts on some of the lectionary texts for this Sunday, Trinity. Um, check back to last Sunday's words um, for a collect. Psalm 29, okay. You may recall that this psalm has fallen out of favor with me. Check the post for January 7, 2021 to refresh your memory. Basically, two things. One, the psalm portrays God's power bashing the creation, which is not how I think about God's intentions. And two, I don't really see God acting with this kind of power in the world today anyway. So, without objection, and seeing none, we go on to Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. In the year the king Uzziah died, kind of like the way we date things from the day the music died, if only we knew when that was. Actually, Uzziah was apparently the last really strong monarch for Judah. What would the aftermath of such a time be like? It would be particularly important to look and listen for God's actions and words in such a time. Does that resonate with anything today? 
Verse 5, Isaiah has a sense of terror at being in the presence of God. Why? What do you think you would feel in God's presence? If it's different from what Isaiah felt, why? Isaiah's vision represents the activity of the Jerusalem temple. If you had a similar vision, would aspects of the church building and worship service be reflected? How? What does it mean to be a people of unclean lips? Does that describe us, whatever us you want to think about? The seraph touched my mouth with a live coal. Ouch! Remember the kung fu guy, grasshopper, picking up the hot brazier and branding the image onto his wrists? Did you ever have a comparable image as you became a Christian? I don't think I did, although I suppose you could think about it in terms of making a choice for some things and against other things, to gather some things and to reject or forego others. Can you think of something you committed to forego as you became a Christian? How was God a part of your becoming a Christian experience? One writer suggests the live coal represents God's justice and compassion. Holiness as separate or other. Is that a comforting thought, remembering Einstein's understanding that we can't solve our problems with the same thinking that caused them? We'll encounter this again in Romans. Living by the Spirit, we become children of God and in the Gospel. Flesh can only beget flesh. We must be born again anew from above of the Spirit. That's a call to be a prophet for Isaiah. Do you feel called? Why? How? To what? And okay, hands up, who will go for us? How do you hear that? How do you respond? Romans 8, 12 to 17. Chapter 8 brings Romans 5 to 8. Meditation on grace to a close and prepares for Romans 9 to 11 where God struggles with Israel's place and fate in the working out of that grace. The Spirit enables us to understand our identity as God's children. So do we have a different self-understanding from those who have not been somehow touched by the Spirit? How would it differ? And would there be those who are touched by the Spirit but are not Christian? If we suffer for Christ, this is not just health or financial problems. How do we suffer for Christ? Or do we? John 3, 1 to 17. John 3, 16. Just in time for the NBA Finals. Nicodemus comes by night, and it's a word that describes a kind of time, not a point or a duration. It's mysterious, and the conversation is intentionally obscure. It's almost like Nicodemus is a straight man. Born again, born anew, born from above. Which one resonates with you? Carol Aker, heart and soul of Otter Lake Church, used to end the happy birthday song with the verse, How many have you? Only one will not do. Born again means salvation. How many have you? In verse 12, Jesus switches from the plural you to the plural you, sorry, and Nicodemus fades away. Do we then fade in? Passage is highly symbolic. It's not enough to know something, you have to know someone. With a nod to Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. Eternal life is a quality of existence that begins in this life in anticipation of another life. 
I remember from years ago an impoverished farmer in a mission video who, video who said something like, this existence we are now experiencing, we do not call living. Again, the idea that flesh can only beget flesh, and if something is going to significantly change in the human story or experiment, God is going to have to break in, Pentecost-wise. Yeah, that happens in Jesus and through the Spirit. And a nice line from Fred Craddock to set us up then for this Trinity Sunday. Our text proclaims what has always been true of God and what is comforting to hear again. God loves the world. God desires that none perish. God gives the Son that all may live. God has acted in Christ not to condemn, but to save. To trust in this is to have life anew, life eternal. Nice. Just one little question, is the world just the people or more than that? Anyway, that's what I got for now.